What is up, Red Rocks Church? How you doing? <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Super good to be back uh, on the home court, home field advantage. Uh, I have been taking a break from preaching most of the time. I have been speaking at some other churches, and there's just nothing like home. That's all I'm saying. I love speaking at other churches. It's so fun to go to other churches and watch what they're doing and see what God's up to uh, in other parts of the country, but there's nothing like home court advantage, and I've got that again, and I love you guys, man, and I have felt so much love since I have been gone. People have been writing, Chad, you all right? Chad, you still alive? Chad, what's going on? Everything's great. I was just taking a much-needed rest, and it's good to be back uh, for a couple different reasons, especially this weekend, and and one of the big reasons uh, I love being back is, I don't know about you, but I love the fall, right? How many of you love the fall? in Denver, Colorado. Let's do this. Let's welcome Lakewood, Littleton, Arvada, across the pond, Brussels, Brussels. I don't know what fall is like over there, but I wish every one of you at our campus over there could come here for a Denver fall and experience it because it is awesome. And let's do this. Let's give the most gracious round of applause to all the men and women at God Behind Bars. We love you guys so much. So much. I love fall, though, for a bunch of different reasons. Ladies uh, and Sean, obviously you love it because of pumpkin spice lattes. They're back. I don't know if they have those at Starbucks over in Brussels, but here that's like a really big deal. Actually, I need to correct that. Sean doesn't drink pumpkin spice lattes. He actually, and I'm not kidding, this is his go-to drink at Starbucks. It's called, and I hope I get this right, a very, very hibiscus tea. I'm not even kidding, like he has to order that. In fact, I went into his office one day and I saw this like pinkish, pinkish purplish drink on his desk and, 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 it, and it said very, very hibiscus tea and then on the other side it said like purple thunder and I'm like, dude, what is this? And he's like, I actually worked out a deal with my barista so he would call out purple thunder instead of very, very hibiscus tea. <laughs> I picture him, right? I picture him in there and they're like, Sean, very, very hibiscus tea and some dude next to him's like, who's Sean? <laughs> Sean's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a clue, right? And they sit there awkwardly for a little bit. And then finally Sean's like, I'm going to go find this lame dude, Sean, and give him his drink. And then he like runs out of Starbucks with it. So he now calls it Purple Thunder. So give him some uh, trouble with that. And you might say, well, what's that have to do with the message, Chad? It has nothing to do with the message. (laughs) I have just spent a lot of time not being able to be up here talking smack on Sean. So that's going to happen a lot. And you guys just need to put up with it. I also love in the fall that it's football season. How awesome is that? Denver Broncos, 1-0. I love football. I love college football, Roll Tide. I love, um, stop, security. Security, get this Auburn fan out of here. Or whoever, no, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Friday Night Lights, high school football is about as good and as fun as it gets. I love that. Go uh, Chargers. Sorry, we're Chatfield people in the Brugman household. Love all the other high schools that all of our other can't. No, I don't. I love Chatfield, all right? I'm not going to be politically correct here. It's just a good season. Football, this time every year, I do this. It's tradition. I, I grab my face like Hollywood romantic comedy style. I grab her face. I look her in the eyes right before our fantasy football draft. I go, honey, I love you. <laughs> I will see you in four months, right? <laughs> like, take care of the children. I promise I will write. Pray for me. The draft's about to happen. Pray I bring back trophies and money. But until football season is over, we're going to have very little contact. And so I will write, though, I promise. No, fall is awesome. And it's just good to be back up here. There's just something in the air in fall. And, and here's an, another thing I've learned about fall. And let's talk about the Bible for a minute. There's this proverb, and I'm going to paraphrase it. But it talks about doing your work in the summer 
so that you can enjoy and be prepared for a harvest when? In the fall. There's something to the rhythm of God's grace where something special just happens in fall. And this is one of the reasons we're about to do our Red Conference next week is because we want to capitalize on harvest. And if there's ever a good time, it's this next weekend, especially on Sunday when we have our services there at 9 and 11, where if you've ever wanted to invite a friend, this is the time. Because there is going to be a harvest this Sunday that is going to be a little more effortless than normal. You watch. You ask some friends and you watch. Some of you are going to get some yeses to an invitation that you haven't gotten the last three years that you've asked them to show up to something. Because there's just something about doing your work in the summer, which we have, so that we can be prepared for an effortless harvest in the fall. And we're here now. And this should be fun. This should be a celebration. This should be exciting. And so if you're coming to church next weekend and you need to be at church next weekend at the Magnus Arena, please don't come without at least inviting someone. And you may just be surprised at how many people actually say yes. Okay, we good? Family business good? Falls awesome? Here's what we're going to do next. You guys know me. If you've been coming to the church very long, we're about to pray, right? Because as I always say, and I'll never quit saying, this sermon is absolutely not only silly, but it is potentially dangerous if you're just hearing from Chad Brugman. You don't need to hear from Chad Brugman. Chad Brugman's as broken and as flawed as you are. You know who we need to hear from. We need to hear from God through the power and the voice of his Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit loves when we honor him and when we invite him. It's very important to me, and it's very important to us as a church. So can we just do this right now? Can we just soften our hearts and surrender our hearts to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do? At every campus, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, you're our king. You're our friend. You're our Lord. You're our Savior. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would blanket this place with your presence. I pray that you would speak through me powerfully, not because I'm anything, but because you're everything. And God, I want to worship you with my words up here. So would you just pour out your spirit in these next few minutes that we would walk out of these doors better than we walk in. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. sorry, I'm emotional. I'm not, I didn't think I would feel this way, but I haven't been up here for a while. So we're just going to get after it. Um, week 37, if you're visiting, uh, of the Fearless series. I've either been in the, in the services sitting where you guys are, or I've been listening if I'm out of town on the podcast, and it's been an incredible series. I apologize that, again, you had to have a guy who drinks very, very hibiscus tea get up here and talk to you about being fearless. That just doesn't make sense. But nevertheless, let's be honest. Has Sean and the rest of the people not done an incredible job this whole series? I have been so inspired and so motivated. And I've, I've needed it, man. And so it's been awesome. But I, I got the privilege um, and also the burden of wrapping this series up. And when you've had this many talks on fear, my first thought when I was preparing was, all right, God, what do, you, what do you want me to say? What's left to say? And I felt like God in my heart was like, dude, you could talk about, he says, dude. He goes, dude, you could talk about, you could talk about fear 52 weeks a year and we'd all be fine. Because unless you know what to do with fear, you will never fully know what to do with life. That's just how it works. In fact, there's this uh, modern-day American theologian who said something a few weeks ago, really important. He'll give you a bio of him. He uh, grew up on the west side of Philadelphia, born and raised. And he, uh, (laughs) what? He got in one small fight, and his mom got scared, and he said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle to Bel Air, right? Okay, so I'm watching, a, I'm watching a Facebook post that Will Smith put out. I follow Will Smith, and I love it. I'm proud of it. Judge me, whatever. I love it. And he was talking about fear. And he got to this one point. Will Smith gets a little funky sometimes and weird and new agey and all that stuff, but I love him, man. And he said this statement. I was kind of like, eh. He said this, though. He said, on the other side of fear is God. 
And here's my first thought. I was like, well, that's pithy and that's kind of neat and nice sounding. And, and you go, ooh and ah. I go, but I don't know that that's true because I think God's on this side of fear. I think God's on that side of fear. I think God's above fear. I think God's below fear in your life. I think God's everywhere all the time. I think that's who God is. And so I don't know if that's to- fully true, but then I kept listening to what he kept on saying about that statement. And I started to buy in because I got the spirit of what he was getting at. And what he was getting at is this, dealing with fear in your life has everything to do with walking in the fullness of who God has called you to be in this lifetime. That purpose that he has given you, what he designed you and knitted you for in your mother's womb, Red Rocks Church, fear is the number one thing that is gonna keep you from walking in the fullness of the life that Jesus paid the ultimate price to restore back to you life and life to the fullest, the enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you and I, the greatest tool that he has in his tool belt in his arsenal is this thing called fear. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to throw a bit of a twist. I like to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little spin on this idea of fearlessness. And we're going to end with this thought in mind. Here's my one thought for this weekend. It is this. If you want to really live fearless, And I believe every single one of us at every campus and in the sound of my voice, if you're being honest, you just really do. Even if you walked into one of our campuses and and, and you are at an all-time high when it comes to fear right now, when life is just handing it to you, when the devil's as loud as he's ever been, when he's telling you as many lies as he's ever told you, when he's accusing you like you've never been accused before and it's wanting you to shrink back, let me tell you this, if you really want victory over that, if you want to be fearless, you have to do this. You have to be fearful. <laughs> to which the crowd goes, er? <laughs> Makes no sense, right? If you want to be fearless, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time with you guys making the case that if you want to be fearless, you have to be fearful. And here's what I mean. There is actually a healthy kind of fear that the Bible talks about, and it doesn't just talk about it implicitly here and there. It talks about it passionately, and it talks about it explicitly, There is actually a healthy fear that we are to be full of if we're going to live this life fearlessly. And the Bible calls it this, calls it the fear of the Lord. So as we wrap up this series, we're going to wrap it up by talking about what it means to fear the Lord. If you're a newer believer, man, that's got to be a weird thing to hear that we have no fear, yet we're called to fear the Lord. In fact, let me just tell you what I think it is and what I don't think it is. And I don't think as a pastor, I'm going to give you a holistic or an all-inclusive definition. I'm not smart enough or godly enough yet, but I'm going to tell you what I do know about the fear of the Lord, both from what I see in the word of God and both what I've experienced. And here's what I know about the fear of God. The fear of God is not being scared of God. Listen to what this verse says. We've, we've heard it all series. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. Okay, God doesn't want you to have a spirit of fear. So being, uh, walking in the fear of the Lord doesn't have to do with being afraid of God. I've heard some pastors make that case and I respect those pastors, but I reject that notion. You can do with it what you want, but I reject that notion. Could God smite us all in a moment? Could God give one spoken word of wrath and we would all be done in a millisecond? I believe that with all of my heart. I do not have one fear that our God is going to do that to us at all, though. 
I do not have that fear because what? 1 John 4.18 says this, perfect, there is no fear, excuse me, in love, but perfect love does what? It drives out all fear. The only person in your life right now that is going to love you perfectly on this side of heaven is not your spouse, it's not your boyfriend, it's not your girlfriend, it's not your best friend, it's God and his son Jesus and his Holy Spirit. That is the only perfect love you are ever going to taste and see on this side of eternity. And John, this great apostle in his old age said, this, there's no fear in love. John's essentially saying, I reject the notion that if you're going to grow in your relationship with God and live fearlessly in the purpose that he has for you, that you're supposed to be afraid of him. Come on, parents. We know that doesn't work. Listen, I can make my kids afraid of me. I have the strength. I have the size. I have the resource and I have the respect to make my kids do what I want out of fear. And listen, there is a time to put a little bit of the fear of the Lord in your children. Trust me when I say that. But that is not a sustainable model if your desire is to have a relationship with your children into their old age and into your old age, which is, of course, what we as parents want. Listen, there's times when they're little kids where you want to put a little of the fear of the Lord in them. But at some point, it can't just be about helicopter parenting and controlling your children. At some point, you want them to be in awe of who you are because of the type of person you've been to them. You want them to so love you that you desire what that they desire what you desire. And to me, this is the fear of the Lord. I want to be so in love and so trust the goodness of my father that I want what he wants. And listen, this takes a lifetime of trust and building trust. But this is, this is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. The fear of the Lord is being scared of not being with God. Because he's better than everything else we will ever have in this lifetime. There's nothing that's more fulfilling and more beautiful and more sustaining and more kind and more full of peace and joy than an intimate relationship with Jesus. It's not about being scared of God. It's about how much you love God that you want to walk with this awe and respect in his commands, right? I kind of think of the definition of the fear of the Lord, and one of the, one of the smartest ways of saying it is from another uh, modern f- philosopher and theologian named Michael Scott of The Office. <laughs> There's one episode, such a treat to quote Michael Scott in a message. You don't know what this does to my heart. There's one episode, though, where he's being interviewed, and the question, I guess, that was asked to him was, would you rather be feared or loved by your employees? And it clips to him, and he goes, hmm, would I rather be feared or loved? And he goes, Both. He goes, I want them to fear how much they love me. (laughs) And if you know Michael Scott, that's even more awesome. But I thought about that, and I'm like, you know what? Michael's on to something. For all of his foolishness, he's getting something right. I think to me that's like, and it's not a perfect example, but it's a little bit of of like the fear of the Lord. I just want to be so overwhelmed with how much I love God because of how much he first loved me that I'm almost scared about how good he is. I'm, 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 I'm scared not to be in the will of God. I have tasted and seen, and this is my story. For some of you, it's not your story yet. It's going to be. And for a bunch of you at all of our campuses, this already is your story. You have already tasted and seen how good the Lord is, so much so that when you're tempted to walk outside of his will to try and get something out of his control and in your control, something in you just says, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. That's the fear of the Lord. And there's such blessing that comes with the fear of the Lord. Let me just read some verses. I'm going I'm to read them fast, not much commentary. The fear of the Lord, King Solomon, the wisest man the Bible said to ever live, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. King Solomon is saying this, man, the, 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 the square pavement that you build the rest of your house on starts and finishes with the fear of the Lord. It is the foundation with which everything else good in your relationship with God is built off of. It's not being afraid of him. It's this, this God, show me your goodness in the land of the living like the psalmist wrote. I want to see your goodness so that I can walk in this awe and respect of what you are and who you are and what you want for me. So when the enemy's trying to tempt me to get it in a different way or to go in a different direction, something in me says, absolutely not. The fear of the Lord will not let me go there and it will not let me do that. Psalms 25, 12 through 14. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He, God, will instruct them in the ways they should choose. What a good promise. They will spend their days in prosperity. That one's not bad either. Their descendants will inherit the land. I like that for my kids and grandkids. The Lord confides. This is one I've been praying for 20 years. As soon as I signed up to be a preacher, I, I, I put this up in my office as an intern, and I stared at it every day. The Lord confides in those he loves. I'm like, God, if I'm going to get up and have the audacity to speak about you to other people, and I'm as broken as them, you have to confide in me, God, or I don't want to go up there. You have to make your covenant known to me because God's covenant is fundamentally upside down compared to the covenant of this world. Is it not, Red Rocks? The kingdom of God is, is absolutely an upside down paradoxical kingdom that we are a part of. And God's saying, I don't just let people understand my cross, right? The, Paul, Paul said the message of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Why? Because it's the fear of the Lord. It's this passionate pursuit of the presence and loving relationship of God that starts to make sense of this upside down kingdom. And I want that. And I want that, Red Rocks, for every single one of us. Psalms 31, 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up. I love that. For those who what? Fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. This one's so good. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and here's where it gets good, so that one may sleep satisfied, <laughs> untouched by evil. Guys, I don't know about you. I love me some sleep. I love, if someone's like, hey, you ever tried the sleep number? What's your sleep number? You're like, it's the fear of the Lord. <laughs> right? They're like, mine's 46. I'm like, mine's the FOTL, baby. It's so stupid. I'm sorry. Let's move on. So stupid. That was so dumb. So cheesy. You're cheesy. You're cheesy. You're cheesy. Proverbs 24. I'm being silly. Let me come back to that for a minute. You don't know. We have one of the most sleepless nations on planet Earth. You know, the, have you ever read any stats on how Americans sleep? Something's wrong here, folks. And I have a hunch it has something to do with the fear of the Lord. That the cares of this world are, are deeper embedded in your heart and brain when you go to bed than the goodness of God. And as one of your pastors, that makes me righteously angry. Not at you, but for you. For me. I want every one of us at every campus tonight, I want you to sleep sweet. God gives sleep, the Old Testament says, to those he loves, man. And if you're not sleeping good, I know what you're thinking. Does that mean God doesn't love me? No, it means you don't fully yet know how loved you are by God or you would sleep a whole lot better tonight. Proverbs 22.4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. I want that for every one of you. 
Psalms 128. I've prayed this since I've been married and had kids. I've leaned into this promise. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, who shall eat of the fruit of your hands. You will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. I don't know what that means. Don't call her that, but it's probably good. (laughs) Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall be the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Psalms 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps, protects, surrounds you encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Proverbs 14, 26, listen to this, moms and dads. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. Listen to that, mom and dads. I'm gonna read it again. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Sean talked about getting your confidence back a couple weeks ago. Listen to where that confidence is found and where it's rooted in and where it grows. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And this is so beautiful. And his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. And I want that for every single one of you. And I just read about seven or eight verses out of about 45 throughout the Bible on the fear of the Lord. And do you see the reoccurring theme? It's blessing, it's prosperity, it's life, it's honor, it's sleep, it's health, it's favor. If you want to be fearless in this lifetime, you're gonna have to be fearful. And so the million dollar question is this. I know you're asking it already. All right, Chad, we get your point. What's that look like? What's that look like? And, and I'm, again, I don't think I'm going to give you a whole less holistic definition, but I'm going to give you one moment in the Old Testament that's one of my literal favorite moments in all of human history. It's one of those I read and I get goosebumps when I think about it. I get, I'm going to get goosebumps up here when I start talking about it. It's a moment with Moses, and it's real close to Joshua chapter 1 because it's found in Exodus 33. And if you guys, for time's sake, just let me do the cliff notes. I had it all uh, written out for the screens, but I'm just going to give you the cliff notes. You can go back and read it this weekend to make sure I'm telling you the truth here. But here's what happens. Israel was neck deep in idolatry because they were tired of waiting. You ever get tired of waiting on God for his promise? They were tired, on, tired of waiting as former slaves. They're like, we just want to taste some milk and honey. We just want that land of milk and honey, and we're tired of waiting, and our leader's up on a mountain in the presence of God, being all godly, and so they decide with another one of their pastors, Aaron, that they're going to build a a, a golden calf and and try and trigger the, the, the blessing of other gods so that maybe they could get there a little faster. They're starting to take things into their own hands. This is exactly what the fear of the Lord isn't is when you start to try and control situations that God has promised you. You start to try and take God's promises into your own time frame and into your own hands. It never goes good. And here's Moses. He's up on the mountain, and he's in the presence of God. Remember that, getting the word from God so he can go down and preach the promises of God. And Moses gets it, and he's up there 40 days and 40 nights, and when he comes down, he sees this huge golden calf, and it's like Coachella in the desert. They're having this dance party. This is how I think about it. They're having this dance party, and DJ Milk and Honey's up there doing, and they're just partying, and they're, they're going crazy. And Moses, as the man of God who's been prioritizing the presence of God because he's a man who fears God, comes down that mountain and is righteously ticked, as you can imagine. And he breaks the stones that he had spent all that time writing the word of God on. And God's as equally righteously angry and frustrated as Moses is. And God says this to Moses, and I'm paraphrasing, but you can read it in Exodus 33. God essentially says this, listen, I'm a God who does not lie. 
I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are long dead now, I promised that their um, heritage, that their children would receive the promised land of Cana. So I'm giving it to you. And then he looks at Moses and says this, but I'm not going with you because I will smite those people because they are a stiff-necked people. You've been there, mom and dad, right? I had that with my, my daughter this morning. It's like, listen, go out, go out into the backyard, the land that we've created of milk and honey, and take your little Capri Sun and your Cheez-Its, your milk and honey, and eat all you want. But listen to me, I'm not going out there because I'm mad at you. And if I go out there, I will smite you, Jane. <laughs> right? On a much, much grander more important level, this is God going, I, I just can't do it anymore. Come on, parents, we've all had that moment where it's like, just, we just gotta be alone. Go do whatever, listen, have whatever you want, just do not look at me because if you look at me, we're done, right? It's one of those moments. And then here's, here's where the fear of the Lord is beautiful. I think it's possibly the most beautiful picture of the fear of the Lord that I see in the scriptures, I love it. Moses looks at God and says, nope. That's bold saying nope to God. He says this, we will not go to Canaan if your presence doesn't go with us. That's the fear of the Lord. I lived in Missouri for almost 10 years. And on my 10-year anniversary of being married to Rachel, we had the privilege of vacationing in Maui. So I've lived in Missouri and I vacationed in Maui, and there's no comparison. If any of, <laughs> if any of you have ever been to Missouri or Maui, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? One place you get off the plane and the, the ladies put a lay over your head and there's drinks with umbrellas in them and they're smiling and dancing like this. Just, and then you go to Missouri and the girls are chewing tobacco and whatever, whatever, right? It's just different. Israel is in the middle of the desert, deep, neck deep in idolatry, and I picture them hearing Moses say this to God, if you don't go with us, we're not going. I picture DJ Milk and Honey going, I'm sorry, what? Did you? And they're like, no, 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 we'll go without him. We just want milk and honey. We've been slaves for 400 years. We just want milk and honey. We've been in this horrific desert for 40 years now. We just want to know what it's like to have plush land and milk and honey. We want to know what it's like for once in our life to prosper. And I think that's an honest, sincere feeling, right? But Moses knew something that they didn't know. Moses knew that if you want milk and honey, but you don't care about the presence of the creator of milk and honey participating with you, milk and honey will not only never be what you hoped it will, eventually it will sabotage and turn on you and destroy you. That's what it'll do. When we, when we pursue things outside of the presence of God, even things that on paper could be good, and we don't care about the presence of God, we're just enamored with the promises of God. Listen to me, those two things have to be working paralleled together, and Moses understood this. Here's why. The, the Bible tells us that for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he spent it in the king's palace. Moses knows milk and honey. Like no, not many people on planet earth at the time ever would have. Moses understood what it meant to, to live in, in, a, in a constant state of material prosperity. Moses had everything the world could ever tell you you need to be happy at his fingertips for 40 straight years. And then all of a sudden we know from Hebrews 11 and the book of Exodus that it says this in Hebrews 11, by faith, I love that, because faith is what pleases God. Faith is what conquers fear. It says by faith, Moses left, listen to this, the pleasures of the palace to go and be mistreated with his people. Here's what the fear of the Lord will do for you every now and then. It will cause you to do something that looks really stupid on paper. It will ask you to, to, to have a divine downgrade in your life. 
That, that's what happens with Moses. He left the pleasures of the palace. Everyone would have been like, what? Are you an idiot? We all want what you have. And Moses is going, listen, it will never give you what you think. And so do you know what he does for the next 40 years? He spends time in next to no material prosperity. And he spends all his time, listen to this, in the presence of God. And this is precisely why I believe God allowed Moses to be the leader and to save people out of Egyptian slavery into the promised land is because God needed someone who had tasted and seen what the world can give you for 40 years and then tastes and see what God's presence can give you for 40 years and realize that, listen, it's fun to have milk and honey, but if you have milk and honey for too long without the presence of God, that milk and honey is going to actually have adverse effects on you and make you worse off than if you never had it in the first place. And so Moses was able to look at God and say, we will not go to the promised land if you do not go with us. This is the fear of the Lord. It's not being scared of, of God. It's being scared of not being with God because you've tasted and seen how good he is. And, and band, you guys at, at all campuses, you guys can go ahead and, and come out. Moses knew something that they didn't know. He knew that the allure of over there is deadly if you're not already doing good over here. Like if you don't have character in the desert, you're not gonna have more character all of a sudden because you got milk and honey. That's the lie. Well, if I just got those things, I'd be a better human. If I just had what they had, I'd be a better human. Moses already had those things, so you can't trick him. The enemy can't trick him. The flesh can't trick him like it was tricking his brothers and sisters in the desert. He knows, he's like the allure of over there without the presence of God is deadly. He knew that the allure of, if I, could just, if I could just have those things, that that stuff's deadly. And he says, we're not going there without it. Here's what's crazy about God. And we see it in the Old Testament and New Testament. God literally can give you his promises while having completely disconnected his presence in your life. Isn't that scary and sobering? Like God's grace is so much bigger than all of us can even think about and define right now. Paul said it. Paul said God's got, uh, God's got a storehouse of grace. He wants to lavish on us. And he says it's bigger and better. And again, I'm paraphrasing than you and I can ever ask or think or imagine. What God has in store for those who love him is it's, God's grace is so much bigger than we give our small little human definitions to. What's so sobering about that though is God is willing to give you his promise while disconnecting his presence. And the fear of the Lord and why it brings blessing and favor is this. There's going to be some key moments. It won't happen often, but there's going to be some key moments in your life where you're at a fork in the road and you have to decide, does that milk and honey seem better than God's presence? Because I think right now I'm not going to have both. Does that relationship with that guy, ladies, young ladies, is it worth it? And you're like, well, he's got a great job and he's got abs. <laughs> and ladies, I'm asking you to have the spirit of Moses in that situation. If that guy with money and abs doesn't love the presence of Jesus, run. Stay in Missouri. But I want to go to the land of abs and money. <laughs> Stay in Missouri. But he looks, it's like Maui over there. He's like mountain. Stay in Missouri. I met my wife in Illinois right? Good things can come out of bad places. <laughs> I'm kidding. Illinois is awesome. Nothing wrong with that state right now. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> moving on. I, I just read Rock's 
I want you to grab a hold of this. There's just going to be moments where you have to decide between having a thing or having a person. Choose the person. Choose God. Even if on paper, it's like Moses leaving the pleasures of the palace or or downgrading, whatever that looks like for you. You're going to have these key moments. They won't happen often, but when those moments come, listen to me, those are moments that are going to divinely affect the trajectory of your future. And some of you, that's you right now. You're wanting to go to some some lands and some places that look so promising, but you just know in the deepest part of your gut, the voice, the still, small, beautiful voice of the Holy Spirit's just whispering, not screaming, don't go. Don't go. Choose God's presence right now over his promise. And and listen, the goal is to, to, to walk paralleled with God's promises and God's presence. But every now and then, man, you're going to have to choose. Remember, remember what the prodigal son, this is, our, this is our church's story. We know this story better than any story in the Bible at our church because this is the, the story we've wrapped our core values around. Do you remember what happens? He asks for the promise from his dad and his dad says, here you go. And his dad doesn't give him what with it? His presence. Because his dad knew that that kid needed a little more of the fear of the Lord. That, that kid needed to know how much his dad loves him and how good it, it is to be in his dad's house. Like the psalmist wrote, I'd rather have one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. And the prodigal son said, no, I'd rather have a thousand elsewhere with the grace of God. And so the Bible says the dad gave him the inheritance and the inheritance in that story is grace and mercy. Because the promises of God in the old covenant were physical. They were milk and they were honey. They were tangible. But under the new covenant, it's an inside out kingdom. And so milk and honey for us is grace and mercy. And the kid said, give me the grace and mercy and I want to go spend it how I think is best. And it said he spent it on riotous living. He spent it on things that God doesn't endorse. And eventually God knew what he didn't know. Eventually that milk and honey will go from being really sweet and it will turn on you. And all of a sudden you'll wake up and you'll be in a really precarious situation. And guess what? You're going to come home. And guess what? I'll leave a light on for you and I'll be there waiting. And I won't make you pay because I love you so much. And I needed you to go out into that land and try and do it on your own to see that without me, it's just not good because it is precisely the goodness and the kindness of the Lord that leads us to change. It leads us to the fear of the Lord. The goodness and the kindness of the Lord is what brings us to repentance. And that's what I want for us this weekend. I wanna ask all of you at all of our campuses, if, if you're here and you guys can stand up at every campus, we're about to take communion in a few minutes. If you're here though, and you would say, man, I, I, I caught you on a good weekend, Chad. Thank you, thank you for that message because I'm so tempted right now. Or maybe you say, man, I'm neck deep in the land of milk and honey. And I just know by the way things are turning out that God's presence is not endorsing this career or this relationship or this friendship or those hobbies, those extracurricular activities that happen late. And I know God's not endorsing that. And I tried to take life into my own hands because I just want land of milk and honey. We all do, that's okay. And God says, okay, here's, here's your grace. Here's your mercy. And you've been using that grace and that mercy as a license for immorality. And listen, God's not mad at you. God's not angry with you. God in his kindness is giving you over to those things so you can see the futility in them, so you can come back to the house that's full of goodness and a house that's never gonna leave you, never gonna forsake you, always gonna take care of you in the good times and in the bad times. And so at any of our camps, if you say with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here right now, 
and you'd say, that's me, Chad, man. You caught me at the right time. I've just been living in some, some places and going some places where I know the presence of God isn't with me there. I know he's not endorsing there. And, and I want to walk out of these church doors this weekend. And I want to get out of that place if God's presence isn't there with me one more second. But I need the courage and the strength to do that. If that is you, would you please courageously put up your hand? Because we're going to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you guys for your courage, to be honest, because I know sometimes that's a tough one to admit. Thank you guys for your courage. God is going to bless your courage. God is going to give you a supernatural grace. He is not mad at you. He is not angry with you. He's just calling you back and saying, I've got something within the fear of the Lord. I've got something so much better for you. That's what he wants for you. So I'm going to pray and we're going to do this. Everyone look at me real quick at every campus. I'm going to pray. And then before we take communion, because communion's this sacred thing we get the privilege of doing. And the Bible says, don't do it flippantly. Really think about what you're doing before you do it. Because it's this beautiful, sacred act of remembering Jesus. We're going to sing. I picked a song that we all know so we don't have to work for it this weekend. I picked a song that our church loves. It's, we call it low-hanging fruit. Like everyone, like I, and, and it's one of the most Christ-exalting songs that have been written in the last few years. And the reason I did this is because I want us to get our hearts ready to take communion. So when this song is done at every campus, I'm going to come back up. And I want you to hold on to that because I, I think we should take it together. I think there's something powerful as a church family in taking communion together. So at every campus, if you're not already standing, let's stand. They're going to be passing out communion. If, if you've got gluten issues, we have stations at the different parts of the church with gluten-free uh, bread. So we don't have a really weird ending to a beautiful communion service. We don't want that for you guys. So let, let's do this. I'm going to pray because I want to get our hearts prepared to just say, God, and this is for all of us. God, would you just re-up on the fear of the Lord, whatever that looks like for me, God, would you just give me such a beautiful view of your goodness before I walk out of the doors of my particular campus? Heavenly Father, as we begin to get our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on you, the creator and the sustainer and the giver of life, God, I pray that something special would happen at every single one of our campuses. As we begin to sing to you, as we begin to exalt you, as we begin to lift your name up, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do something so felt and so tangible that people would be healed emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically. God, we honor you and we lift you up and we sing this to you from the bottom of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, let's sing.
Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is, Jesus. Nothing compares to Him. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. We lift high your name, your name, your name. Oh, no one else, no one else can see me and love me so perfectly. Jesus.
So Paul's uh, repeating the story in the upper room where communion was established in the book of uh, Corinthians chapter 11. And he, he says this, he says, on the night Jesus was, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he stood up and he broke the bread and he said, gentlemen, and he says this to us a couple thousand years later, he says, as often as you choose to do this, I love this, as much as you want, you can do it at home by yourself, do it at church together as a community, you can do it at school, whether they let you or not, <laughs> I'll move on. As often as you want, all that's gonna happen when you take time with the bread and with the wine to remember the beauty of the cross, here's what's gonna happen. Awe is gonna begin to fill your heart for the person of Jesus Christ. And the more and more that you respect and the more and more that we dwell on, the more and more that we preach about and talk about and remember the implications of the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the more and more the resident fear of the Lord is gonna start to be a natural part of who you are. Isn't that incredible? And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition from such sinful men so that you won't grow weary in doing well. There's something so powerful when we take communion because we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And in doing so, it starts to, to, to referee all of the cares of this world that we walked in with and walking out with this reverential awe of my God is good. He proved it in Jesus. If he proved it no other way in your life, he keeps saying, look at the cross, go back to the cross, keep fixating and focusing on the cross because the more over time you start to sit under the implications of how much God loves you, proven by Jesus Christ on that cross, the more the fear of the Lord is gonna take over and the blessing and the protection and the favor and all those things the Bible said tonight, the fear of the Lord gives us, man, that's yours for the taking. And so this is why we do that. Would everybody at every campus, would you get out? the wafer that represents the broken body of Jesus and would you with me these are awesome would you take that for a minute would you just break it real fast it's just a symbolic reminder and look at it and say this was Jesus's body for me the prophet Isaiah said the punishment I love this the punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his stripes you're healed some of you, and I say this every time we take communion, you walked in here and you think it's noble to punish yourself for your mistakes. Not only is it not noble, it's horrible stewardship of life because the punishment in your place that you deserved has already been paid. That's why therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus have been set free from the law of sin and death. We deserve death because of sin. We've been set free from that law. It's a very real law, but you were set free as a gift. And God said, the reason I sent my son to give you that gift is for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you'll just believe in him and love him, man, it's all taken care so some of you listen to me at every campus stop punishing yourself men and women at God behind bars stop punishing yourself all right you've already gotten your sentence you're already walking it out there does you no good to continue to punish yourself for what's in the past you are forgiven you are chosen you are holy you are blameless you are a son you are a daughter of the king and the most high and what put you behind those bars does not define you you can let it refine you but it does not define you the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ is what will define us and what confronts fearlessness in our life so let's eat to the broken body of Jesus we love you Jesus
After supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, let this wine, gentlemen, let it represent, let it be a picture of the blood that I'm about to shed for you because that blood represents the new covenant. Again, how Isaiah prophesied it, though we come to Jesus scarlet red, stained in our rebellion and mistakes, stained blood red in the lack of the fear of the Lord, Jesus says this, I will wash you white as snow. He calls you perfect before he makes you holy. He calls you son again. He calls you daughter. That is the promise of the new covenant. He's taken your sins and thrown them as far as the east meets the west. Another prophet said he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. This is who you are in Christ. Hebrews says he calls you perfect while he's still making you holy. So for just this minute as we toast to Jesus Christ, our Lord and King and our Savior, can you just sit here and accept your perfection for a minute and thank Jesus knowing that he's the reason? He's the whole reason that we can call ourselves perfect and be at peace and be at rest right now. Let's drink to that. Now this next song is about the greatness of Jesus. And one of the greatest things we do to conquer fear is get our eyes off of our own self and get our eyes on the creator of the universe. So do this. If you're afraid of anything right now, could you just give the next five or 10 minutes to just focusing on the greatness of God, not on your problem? Could you just for the next 10 minutes say, forget about my circumstance, forget about my problem. I'm just gonna give glory and honor to the one who can solve all my problems, to the one who's paid for all my problems. Can we just do that? Something healthy and healing and special starts to happen when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we just start to lift up the name of Jesus for what he speaks over us. Let's worship Red Rocks Church.